1: Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God.
0: And the saints all with gladness are singing the glorious song of the
1: redeemed. Song of the redeemed. Thank you once again for tuning to the podcast. This is our Tuesday edition of the podcast. And we're doing a two-part message out of the book of Nehemiah. And again, I'm biding a little bit of time. We've had a pretty busy couple of weeks with the pastor of my stepfather and a lot going on in the McVeigh household. And we're also just trying to find direction for the podcast. But in the meantime, the Lord has shown me some things in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 9, that I'd like to deal with today. I'd also like to announce that this coming Saturday, 1 o'clock and 3 o'clock here at our house, uh, we are going to have a special Bible study. We have some folks coming in for that. We've already had about 10 people confirm and uh, others that might be considering that. But we're going to have a special Bible study here at the house. And uh, we're not here for food. We're not here for snacks and meals. We're here to study the Word of God. And it's just something the Lord has given for us this coming Saturday. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you come for that. And then also, in addition to that, we're going to be getting on Sunday in Saltillo at the Calvary Baptist Church. And so we thank the Lord for that. That's at 10 and 11, Sunday School and Church. And then 6 p.m. in the evening, 7 p.m. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. That's over in Saltillo, Pennsylvania. And how we look forward to those meetings, look forward to the Lord, is going to do in Saltillo. In the meantime, I'd like to go back to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 9. And eventually in this chapter, Nehemiah is going to talk about how God brought Abraham out of his land and put him into the promised land and how God brought the children of Israel out. But before he ever does that, before he ever goes into those details, he explains in verse one, the 20 and 4th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloths and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers And stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Now, that's an interesting passage because you can imagine something like that in modern churches or modern days, but they were sincere about that. And if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And that's what it said they confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And so he goes through the problem that Israel has had, how they hardened their hearts and they would not respond to God. They would not obey God. And both in Ezra and Nehemiah, both these great men of God are telling the children of Israel what they need and how they need to return to God. But the turning point in each of those books and each of those men's lives is when they would stand and read the word of God. And when Ezra called for the reading of the word of God, and they stood all day And read the word of God, it was a turning point for them. How much do we need the word of God? How many people today are not even aware of the law of God? You preach the law of God, they'll say something like this Well, you're just a legalist. So they'll try to say this Well, you just just preaching that, but that's not applicable to us today. We're in the age of grace. But yeah, God's law has never changed. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law, He didn't do away with the law. And those laws, especially what they call divers ordinances, are for us today. They're applicable today. And uh, folks get all bent out of shape about those things. and get all offended by the laws of God because they're guilty of violating God's law. That's why they get offended. But when he goes through these laws and the instruction that God gives man, it's for their benefit. But it's also holy because the law of God is holy. The law of God is perfect. It's converting the soul. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one-fourth part of the day, and another fourth part, they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. Now, I don't have to really do too much math, figure out one-fourth of a part of a day. They read the law of God and stood there and listened to the reading of the law of God for six hours, and then they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God for the next six hours. And then they go through and tell us what they did and what happened and how God brought them out of Egypt. And as so many of the writers of scripture have stated, the psalmist writes of it, Solomon writes of it, Isaiah, Jeremiah, others write of it. They hardened their hearts against God. They would not give themselves to him. They dealt proudly, hardened their necks, hearkened not to thy commandments, refused to obey, neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them. But hardened their necks in their rebellion. And so it's interesting. They weren't even mindful of the wonders around them. How many people today are not even mindful of the wonders of God going on around them? They cannot see the kingdom of God. They cannot realize these things are of God. They see the practicality. They see the pragmatism of it. But they do not see the working of God. How much joy does God find in converting a sinner to Jesus Christ? But yet, if that person changes their outward appearance to please some, and changes their mannerisms to please some, and it really changes their manner of conduct to please some, it's no mark of salvation, it's no identifier of salvation, yet so many people would be pleased because now this person, who was very offensive in their demeanor, and their conversation, in their clothing, in their outward appearance, they were highly offensive to some, yet now they've drastically. And people say, it's a wonderful change. Look, he got a haircut. He shaved. He showers. He has clean clothes. Look, he's trimmed his toenails. He no longer swears like he used to swear. Hey, he got dentures. He no longer has those big gaps in his mouth. And oh, what a wonderful thing. He trims his eyebrows. Look how clean he is. Look how wonderful. And they cannot see the kingdom of God. All they see is an outward appearance. And God warned us about that. Then he said, he looks upon the heart. And there are so many people concerned about the outward things of God, and they've never been concerned with the inward things of God. They cannot see the kingdom of God. And yet God continually preaches of those inward things. They saw the miracles of God, and they didn't realize they were God's miracles. They saw the wonders that God did. He said they were not mindful of them. What does that mean? It never crossed their mind that God did this. It never crossed their mind that God did them, that they might see the wonderful workings of God. That's why Jews still seek a sign. They're looking for wonders. And, you know, I deal with people daily and deal with a lot of religious people when they find out that you're an esteemed member of the clergy, and I use that sarcastically, uh, but it's amazing how religious people get, and the swearing sometimes will stop, and sometimes they'll put their booze can down, and they want to talk religiously when they find out that you are also religious, and yet so many of them do not see the Spirit, so they do not see the kingdom of God. I deal with people that are looking for miracles. They speak of miracles and they talk about manifestations of miracles, but they can't see the miracle of the new birth. They can't see the inward change. They can't see a a miracle that God has done in someone's life. Now they like the pragmatic view. This person is now a good member of society. They hold down a job. They pay taxes. They polish their shoes. Their car isn't smoking as bad as it used to, but they cannot see the kingdom of God. Why? Because their rebellion has blinded their eyes. They cannot see the miracle that God has done. To them, the outward workings are the miracle, not the inward. It's no different than the charismatic that's seeking some type of a sign. He's looking for smoke and clouds, and he's looking for moonbeams to send sparkly glitter into his eyes, and he's looking for miracles, he's looking for the the lame to walk, he's looking for the blind to see, he's looking for someone to be healed of cancer, and those are the miracles that God does. But they cannot see the wonderful working of God. They cannot see the wondrous works internally. And here's what the Lord said in the book of Nehemiah: They were not mindful of. These things. Why? They never thought about it again. They never considered that this was God. They could not see this. They saw the wonderful workings. They saw the tree that was cast in that made the bitter waters sweet. Were they mindful that was God? No, they were not. Why weren't they mindful? Because they didn't see the kingdom of God. Then after that, they went and took advantage of God's uh, uh, mercy, took advantage of God's pardon, his graciousness. He was slow to anger, of great kindness. Even through that, he did not forsake them then they went and made a golden calf. They said, this is thy God that brought thee up out of Egypt. And yet they couldn't see the miracles of God. They turned to a idol of gold and said, he did this. He's the one that brought us up out of Egypt. This is our God. And they bowed the knee and they worshiped a golden calf and then lied to Moses and it sprang out of the fire. And why? Because they're so blind, they can't see the work of God. And that hasn't changed that hasn't changed in all these years. God didn't forsake them and all that. God didn't curse them and all that. God gave, multiplied them as the sand of the seashore, as the stars of the heavens, like he promised Abraham he would do. God multiplied them. God brought them into that land that he promised them. They possessed the land. They subdued the inhabitants. They cast out the Canaanite. God gave them vineyards they didn't plant, orchards they didn't glean. God gave them things beyond their understanding. Yet they could not see the work of God. They took those strong cities and lived in them. They didn't have to build those cities. They were there for them. Verse 26 of Nehemiah 9 says, nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against thee and cast thy law behind their backs and slew thy prophets, which testified against them to turn them to thee, and they wrought great provocations. In all this, they were disobedient to God. They could not see the hand of God. And by the way, those that could not see the hand of God, those that were disobedient, those that were rebels died in their iniquities and they died and went to hell. And that has not changed in all of these years. You cannot see the work of God. It's because you're a rebel against God. You can't see the marvelous workings, the marvelous miracles of God. I don't know how many people, even after their conversion, they talk about somebody else getting saved and how jealous that'd be and how embittered that would make them because they got saved and they had relief, but... I don't have that relief. And I've had several over the years have come and said, I was so bitter about so-and-so getting saved or so hurt by so-and-so getting saved. Why? Because they can't see the kingdom of God. They've delivered them into the hand of their enemies. Verse 27, who vexed them. When they cried unto thee, thou hurtest them from heaven. God was still merciful. God still entertained them. God still loved them, was still compassionate to them. They had rest in that land. God brought them into a land of rest. War ceased in the days of Solomon. They had more than any nation the world has ever had. They had abundance, and Solomon fed them and clothed them, and happy were his servants. And they had all this world's goods, and they had rest from war and rest from their enemies. Yet, even in that rest, they did evil, they, he said, before thee. When they returned, cried to thee, thou heardest them from heaven." Again, it testified against them. The Lord has spoken against them. The Lord has called them out. The Lord has used them as an example, a living example for you and I to see and understand that we also don't fall into that same lust and that same idolatry and that same covetousness that you and I do not fall into that same trap they fell into. yet God still was merciful. Yet God's great mercy came upon them. He did not utterly consume them, in verse 31, nor forsake them. Why? For thou art a gracious and a merciful God. It's of God's tender mercies that were not consumed. It's a miracle that God has given us less than our iniquities deserve. And God has given us less than our iniquities deserve. Why? Because he's merciful and he's long-suffering to us. Not one that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In verse 33, howbeit thou art just in all that is brought upon us, for thou hast done right, but we have done wickedly. It's amazing how you sit back and you watch people under the judgment of God, sometimes under the wrath of God, and you see the calamity of their life and the awfulness of their life and misery upon misery, and they have no rest with God and no peace with God. And then they say they're suffering for persecution's sake but it could be they're suffering as evildoers. And that's not always for me to judge. My goodness, that's beyond my understanding. Lest I also be judged as an evildoer and claim persecution. It's like the fool that stands on the street corner and and mocks people and scoffs at people and makes fun of their calamity, calls it preaching. And then when somebody throws a rock and hits him in the head, he cries persecution and puts all over Facebook how he's being persecuted for the gospel's sake. No, you're being persecuted because you called somebody a name. Call my wife a whore. I'm gonna hit you in the head with a rock, probably too. And that's not gonna be persecution. That's gonna be judgment, quick, sure, and wrathful. Amen. And yet we have a generation today that's claiming persecution. Oh, the devil's trying to hurt me, the devil's doing this to me. The devil's destroying me. Yet, how many times is it the hand of God upon a man, the hand of God in judgment upon a man, the hand of God trying to show a man that he's being judged of God? Is God in His goodness and in His mercy trying to turn that one to Himself? God brought all of this upon them because they've done wickedly. They weren't innocent, and most of us aren't innocent. The only relief we have is the blood of Jesus Christ. The only goodness in Tim McVeigh is so the blood of Jesus Christ. The only holiness in Tim McVeigh is so the blood of Jesus Christ. He said in verse 35, and really here's our text for this entire message today on the podcast for they have not served thee in their kingdom, in thy great goodness that thou gavest them, in the large and fat land which thou gavest before them, neither turn they from their wicked works. Discontent murmurings and all, how they murmured against him, how they murmured against the man of God, how they spoke against God himself. And I don't compare myself to Moses. I don't compare myself to Aaron. I don't compare myself to the prophets. I don't compare myself to John the Baptist. But there's a lot of people over the years have murmured against me. They've not seen what God was doing. They couldn't see the work of God. All they saw was the flesh. I sent out a thing the other day. I read a quote somewhere, a man simply said, he said, people that look at a preacher and all they see is the volume of his voice And the motions that he makes, he said, are no better than animals because that's how animals respond. That's how a dog responds. A dog hears the anger in his master's voice. He hears the inflection in his voice, the strength of his voice, and he sees actions and he responds to those actions. That's how you train a dog. You raise your hand, the dog cowers. You raise your voice, the dog runs. He said, people are no different in their lost estate than animals are because they cannot see the kingdom of God. All they see is the nuances of preaching. The male how angry he was when he preached. He raised his hand when he preached. He says, because they've not turned from their wicked works. They murmur. They sow discord. They speak ill of the things of God. He said, behold, we're servants this day. And for the land thou gave us unto thy fathers. So he says, we are these servants. And then he said in verse 30, and because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it and our princes, Levites and priests seal unto it. Nehemiah has called the nation to repentance. And by the way, Nehemiah didn't just call them to repentance. Nehemiah forced the hand of some of repentance. Nehemiah told them he'd take a hold of them. Nehemiah would grab them by the face and rip at the hair. Nehemiah would curse them. That's what the Bible said. He cursed them. He didn't bless them. He cursed them. Why? Because they were unfit to be in the temple of God. They were not allowed to enter into the temple of God. They could not be in that holy place. Why? Because they were cursed of God. Nehemiah separated holiness from profane. Nehemiah separated the ungodly from the godly. Nehemiah, that great preacher of God, and he told Israel, we better repent of these things. Why, it's going to be our destruction lest we again fall into idolatry by disobeying the law of God. This is our exhortation for this Tuesday.
0: There is a lost soul who is tired of the sinning. stars sing.